0: Welcome to Between the Bylines, a weekly podcast from the Boston University News Service, where we unpack must-read stories from the past week through the lens of student journalism. Hear how the story was made from the writers and editors who made it. It's Monday, September 30th, 2019. I'm Susanna Sudborough. And I'm Hannah Harn. This week, we're in the studio with Anastasia Lennon, who reported on last week's climate strikes and a climate change uh, forum.
1: Anastasia, (laughs) thank you so much for joining us today. Um, So why don't you give us a little bit of an introduction? So I'm a graduate student here at
2: BU studying journalism. Um, I'd like to go into investigative reporting and some environmental reporting, and I'm the science and tech editor for
1: BU News Service. Great. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, so tell us a little bit about um, you know, your coverage. You went to the climate strike, mm-hmm. which, which, which was a pretty historic event. Um, what was that like? So it, before the climate strike, I actually attended a
2: climate forum, at UMass Boston, and they have these forums pretty regularly. And this one was about public health and how we have a changing climate and then a changing health. So it was looking at locally, but also nationally, sort of how climate change is going to affect respiratory disease, so asthma, Heat stroke. Those that live in apartments that aren't air conditioned, and that's a particularly serious problem for more senior housing. Um, so, it was looking at different solutions for that um, that the city and other um, municipalities are trying to apply now.
0: I thought something that was really interesting um, in your article about the forum mm-hmm. um, was that they were talking about how this was something that hadn't been. Discussed as much Mm -hmm. in terms of an effect of climate change. Mm -hmm. Um, Why do you think maybe that it hasn't been discussed so much?
2: I suppose it's more implicit. You know, lots of the signage gets to the idea that we don't have time, there is no planet B. So I think it's implicit in that it's an existential fear that we have that it's going to affect our livelihood, but there's no really explicit, you know, signs like. I don't want asthma or um, worried about sea level rise and having to relocate or move. So I think it's just more of a an implicit idea people have that they're not really thinking of consciously, you know, more nitpicky. Well, how is climate change personally going to affect me and my health?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: One of the things that I was thought was really interesting from your story on the forum and that you mentioned a little bit ago is that so many people are living in houses without air conditioning. Mm-hmm. Um, and as You know, temperatures continue to rise, that's going to make conditions unlivable. Mm -hmm. How do you think that that's going to affect, you know, housing standards?
2: So, the speaker that spoke about housing at the forum was saying that in Boston, especially, homes and housing or buildings are very old. So, in some ways, it's sort of adapting and and sort of adding things onto these current existing structures. But also, say there is an extreme weather event and a building does get destroyed, it's at that point well, now we have an opportunity to build from scratch to sort of build a new green building, knowing what we now know, using different materials that are conducive to, you know, keeping the building cool.
1: Great. I mean, I think another thing that I was curious about is, so I think climate change is something that a lot of people are super passionate about, mm-hmm. and which is great because, you know— especially when you have a lot of, you know, climate change deniers out there. Mm -hmm. Um, It's really important for people to, you know, be aware and be engaged with the issue. And in terms of going beyond, you know, we as reporters to Mm -hmm. be reporting on that. Mm -hmm. So how do you, I I take, I'm going to go ahead and venture a guess that you are pretty, you know, you have strong feelings about climate change. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. So how do you, you know, I think, how do you balance, you know, your passion for climate change and, you know, wanting to be engaged and, you know, trying to maintain a neutral voice in reporting?
2: So I just remember that um, reporting on a story, especially if it's more investigative, I can only go where the truth takes me. Mm -hmm. I can only go where I have evidence for um, certain conclusions that people might have. Um, So that tempers, I think, any bias that I have, you know, We often discuss, you know, there is no such thing as complete objectivity. We all have our inherent biases, but what matters is that we're aware of them, and when it comes to reporting and when we sit down to write, that we're aware of them, and um, we really only go where the truth can take us.
0: Yeah, yeah, I mean, (laughs) as I am managing editor, I happen to know that something that you have really – Taken a lead on mm-hmm. since you become science editor um, has been having a climate change section, mm-hmm. having really robust climate change coverage mm-hmm. um, so, how did you become um, so passionate about reporting on
2: climate change so getting back to what I was saying earlier, it feels like a real existential issue. you know there's so many things going on with it, and it can feel overwhelming at times. So even as a consumer of news, I sometimes have to turn away. I don't want to look. It can be upsetting. Um, But I think, you know, there's a, a type of journalism called solutions journalism, which kind of looks at, you know, what is working and maybe more of the positive aspects that are going on. And so I think in that way, we can try and make people more aware of the problem without, you know. Leaving them despondent or feeling hopeless. So um, I also just think it's an important issue that needs to be covered this month. I believe multiple outlets is part of Covering Climate Now that was spearheaded by The Nation and Columbia Journalism School. And so I kind of want to hop on that bandwagon and join these other outlets and, and really shining a light on not just nationally and internationally what's going on, but locally as well, you know, how people are responding to it here. Mm-hmm, and that mm-hmm. goes back to the idea of, of public health and personal health, you know, localizing it. What does it mean to that specific reader? Um, you want it to appeal to them. And you, you mentioned, like, how important it is. Like, why do you think it is so important? Again, I I think, I mean, the science is there, sort of where we're headed. And um, it doesn't sound like too great of a future with what they're saying with, extreme weather events, increased temperatures. You know, there's probably going to be lots of forced migration. People can no longer live where they live due to sea level rise. So I, I think things are going to change drastically within my lifetime. And, um, you know, there's some people think that there's no hope. But if we all have that attitude, you know, I don't know. So any any this is how I can sort of contribute I see is is as a reporter covering this subject um it's sort of writing with a, pur- a purpose as a journalist um going back a little bit
0: to the forum um mm-hmm. I noticed the you know it was interesting to learn about these different health effects mm-hmm. um but I noticed that there were certain vulnerable populations mm-hmm. um and it mentioned like elderly people and mm-hmm. young children which is typically what you see when there's a public health crisis that the young and the elderly are most vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Um, But are there any other um, populations that are particularly vulnerable to the effects of climate change, either health-wise or otherwise?
2: So, yeah, I guess there's another field looking at more environmental justice, and I saw lots of signage at the climate strike as well about this. You know, different minority populations are affected depending on where they live, what sort of access they have to health care. Um, you know, there's all these different factors that play into it their socioeconomic status, um, and also pre- any pre existing conditions. So, the, those are things that go beyond sort of the. Um, children or elderly populations and being
1: affected. Um, What, or was there anything from, you know, the strike or the forum that you, you know, really wanted to include, but just details that you couldn't, um, things that stuck out to you?
2: Hmm. Let me think for a second. So something I did notice, which I wasn't too familiar with, was there was lots of signage about the Weymouth compressor site, which I've been Mm -hmm. trying to catch up on a bit. Um, I'm reporting for the Patriot Ledger this semester as well, which covers Quincy, Weymouth, um, Braintree area. And so that's been a very contentious site, it seems, for a couple of years now. Um so that's something I'm I've been trying to learn more about since the strike, sort of the effects that this this proposed site would have on the local community um, and beyond. Yeah. Interesting. Could be a
0: good follow-up story. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um so how did you feel being in the in the masses of the crowd at this climate strike that is being reported on worldwide?
2: So admittedly, on a personal note, I don't like crowds. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I was sticking to the side of it. But um, I think it's just always beautiful to see people coming together and that they can express their opinion. It's It makes me proud, you know, to be part of a democracy where that people have that freedom to do it. Um, so it was, I was just glad to see this, this is self-expression and there were lots of children there as well, either with their school teachers or their parents. Um, there were a couple dogs as well. Mm -hmm. So, um, it's, it, I think it was a more positive event overall. Um, so it was nice to witness, bear witness to it, given that it was happening all over the world. Yeah. What kind of chants were you hearing? I'm curious. Um, there were some about Governor Baker, um, Mm. do your work, and I think that related to the compressor site, um, climate change has got to go, hey, hey, ho, ho, climate change has got to go, (laughs) that's what the kids were chanting, um, trying to think what else I heard, um, there, there was a brass band, I think, they were playing very jazzy music as they were marching up to the state house, um, so there was a lot, lots of sights and sounds going on, (laughs) those Mm -hmm. are the ones that
1: stuck out to me. Um, it seemed to me that the, the climate strike was pretty peaceful, you know, there didn't mm-hmm. seem to be any upset. Yep. Um, but, you know, as we all know, with, you know, strikes and rallies, that is not mm-hmm. always the case. Mm-hmm. Um, have you had an experience, you know, reporting on a, a rally or a, you know, a strike of, this, of a similar, you know, sort that did not go smoothly?
2: Not that I can remember. I guess something I always try and keep in mind, I think in past coverage of especially like more environmental strikes, um, I think one in D.C., you saw all the signage was left on the ground everywhere, like Mm -hmm. littered. Mm. So that was upsetting, and I, I didn't stick around. Rather ironic. Where, to yeah. the point where the crowd dispersed. So I, I don't know what happened here in Boston. Um, but I was ho- certainly hoping that, you know, people would clean up after themselves or maybe recycle or reuse the signage and, and keep it. So um, I did see some of that. There was a small sign sort of saying, use less paper or, or <laughs> um, recycling. I don't know. People use makeshift signs. They weren't just going out using typical poster board. They were using what they had, which was, yeah. I think, in the spirit of the strike.
1: Uh, I know kind of on that subject of the irony of it, one of the tweets that I saw, um, not from a reporter or anything, just from a, a, a random citizen, if you will, um, about the climate strike is it said, um, you know, seeing all these people with, you know, at the climate strike and then leaving in Ubers is really sending me, mm-hmm. it's just like, it's really something. Um, and that was something that kind of, you know, amused me is just kind of the irony of that situation. Mm-hmm. Um how do we incorporate I mean I think it seems it's a it, very answerable question, but how do we incorporate um that sort of irony and that hypocrisy into reporting without coming mm. off as almost pessimistic?
2: The most neutral way I see your reporting is just stating as fact that there were some people that simply left or noobers or you interview people. How did you get here today? Oh, I took the tea. Um, I took the train in, and just including that in the reporting without really loading with any opinion mm-hmm. or what have you or judgment yeah um yeah yeah it it's interesting on um
0: on the irony front, I saw a lot of like some- well some media and some signs about um meat consumption mm-hmm. um in regards to climate change, and um I saw some animal rights activists mm-hmm. saying like. You know, people are calling, saying there's too much inaction, but people won't change their diets. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, was that something that you saw a lot of there, or like signs about that, um, or something you've seen reported on? Because I've I've seen it in activist circles, but not so much in journalist circles.
2: I've certainly seen you know articles on that even if it's based on a study that was released sort of is there an ideal diet or another one where, you know, it has to be tailored sort of to where you are. Certain nations only have access to certain resources, so there's not really a one-size-fits-all diet. Like, we all need to stop eating meat or stop consuming dairy. Um, But I think this also gets to the idea that, um, this issue means something different to everyone. For some activists, it, it's about what we're eating. For others, if they live by the coastline, it's about sea level rise and and what their future will look like.
1: Um, so, I mean, yeah, I have seen reporting on it. So what was something you'd say you took away from this, you know, event, this experience, either journalistically or just overall?
2: Uh, certainly have a backup battery with your phone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but otherwise... Um, it's It seemed like covering most other events, you just try and speak to as many people as you can, get to know about why they're there, um, why this is important to them. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. It seemed yeah. pretty simple. Do you have any um, advice for, like, going up to randos or psyching yourself up? Um, I mean, I think you should just be as sincere as you can because I think that translates super quick. Someone knows if, oh like you just want to comment from them, you could put a quote on their story. Or if you're really interested in, you know, um, doing this story, like, do you have a second? I'd really appreciate it. Um, and just always be respectful. And I think people can read, you know, whether you're being genuine or,
0: yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think that's true. I think the, like, the manner in which you go up to someone can be really important. like, mm-hmm. I've noticed, as, as <laughs> I think, um, like, I noticed if I was, like, really nervous Mm -hmm. or like seem like needy they did not want to talk to me Mm -hmm. but if I was like really kind of low-key like hey I'm Mm -hmm. doing a story on this you want to comment
1: much better response Mm -hmm. I don't know if anyone else has experienced that yeah I think as I've gotten more experience as a reporter I think I've just care I carry myself differently when Mm -hmm. I approach strangers Mm -hmm. and I think that that makes them A little bit more like oh okay you know you seem like an adult Mm -hmm. who's like you know you seem like a real person I'll talk Mm -hmm. to you um I think one thing that I still really struggle with though is for stories that you know that maybe involve prior reporting is like cold calling people Mm. (laughs) like if I have to call a source (laughs) just kind of randomly I I still get super nervous about that Mm -hmm. and and honestly I think the thing that's so much easier for me about you know talking to strangers now is that Especially at events like the climate strike, y- you can disappear in like mm-hmm. 30 seconds or less. Mm-hmm. Yep. So it's super easy to not have to see anybody ever again <laughs> if you don't want to. Um, you know, especially if somebody gets like fussy with you, it's really easy to just kind of like, oh, okay. And you just kind of melt into the crowd. Yeah. Um, whereas if you're <laughs> standing on a corner pulling res-, mm-hmm. res quotes for a story, you know, th- th- they might, you know, circle back and say, and, you know, and another thing. <laughs> so,
0: <laughs> and if it's a res quote, like, You go to the same school yeah, and you could see them again Mm -hmm. awkwardly in the dining hall, on the street, in calm, like,
1: like. (laughs) Um, What would you say were the hardest and easiest parts of covering, you know, these two events?
2: So... For the forum going in, I was hoping that there would be more local examples Mm -hmm. um, just because the audience that I'm writing for, I want to convey why this matters to them. So um, that was a bit challenging. Sometimes it's also challenging. I've been to another forum. The science might be really abstract or Mm -hmm. hard to understand. Um, And then in terms of the climate strike I guess it's all in figuring out who do you want to talk to because everyone looks interesting Mm -hmm. or their eye gets caught by all these different signs that are very, very creative. So you you almost want to speak to everyone. Um, So it's sort of picking and choosing who do I go talk to next? Um, Yeah. yeah.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, Did you have any moments that, you know, really made you feel proud of yourself as a reporter?
2: Hmm. I don't think so. There was a moment I remember enjoying most. Um, there mm-hmm. there was a group of women performing Vivaldi's Four Seasons in front of the State <laughs> House um, in honor of our Four Seasons yeah. that we have here in the Northeast. Um, so that was something I enjoyed as a reporter. And personally, um, this, was, this happened before we had the bulk of people making their way to the State House from City Hall. So it was a nice moment to see people gather around, people taking video passerby. Um, so that was just a really nice moment of the day. Mm -hmm. That's cute.
1: I kind of, I love that. (laughs) Yeah,
2: I like that too.
0: Um, as someone who's covered some science topics, I think Mm -hmm. that translating scientific research and Mm -hmm. data into layman's terms, which Mm -hmm. is, you know, our responsibility as journalists could be really tough. Um,
2: what do you do to accomplish that? Is there anything you keep in mind or... So if I'm interviewing, say, a scientist or the primary author of a paper, if I'm never afraid to sort of go back and be like, am I to understand this correctly or I'll try and put it in my own words or use an analogy and just not be afraid to be corrected or sound stupid. You know, you have to remember that they're the expert. You're trying to learn about this. So, of Mm -hmm. course, it's natural to be asking questions and it's okay to be doing so. So I'm just trying to put in my own words so that I can understand it and then. I mean, of course, we need to understand it if we're going to be communicating it to other readers. You
1: know. Yeah. And I feel like that's, you know, the ability to communicate that stuff in layman's terms is so important because, mm-hmm. you know, journalism is a form of, you know, education for a lot mm-hmm. of people. It's where you mm-hmm. learn things. And I think a really great example I saw of that recently was a story I read for a class about um you know, the big earthquake that's going to shake California and, you know, mm-hmm. the Pacific Northwest at some point.
2: Was that the New Yorker piece? Yes. That's my one of my favorite articles. I love that
1: story. And, you know, especially as a Californian, I, I think oh, about earthquakes all the time. Okay. And when she's opening with the scene from the 2011 earthquake, mm-hmm. I mean, I remember, you know, being at home and, like, the next day, like, people, you know, my neighbors and stuff, you know, getting in their cars to go drive to the beach with their mm-hmm. launchers to see how high the tide would oh. get. Well, I mean, and we kind of knew we weren't going to get mm-hmm. any tsunami, but we knew we were going to get crazy surf. Um, so it was just kind of, you know, that brought me back. But when she's explaining, you know, you know, put your hands together and mm-hmm. she's explaining how to like mimic the fault line with your fingers. Mm-hmm. That for me was such a great way mm-hmm. to put that sort of very complicated concept into a very understandable process. Mm -hmm. Um,
2: And it allows you to be creative as a writer It allows you to be creative as as a
1: writer. Mm -hmm. I actually felt like I taught it to myself (laughs) in a way. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think, you know, when you're able to leave readers feeling like they learned something. So especially I think science Mm -hmm. and tech articles today have Mm -hmm. so much potential for that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think
0: it's a skill you build over time, too, like – I know that when I first started doing, like, police reports, I was mm-hmm. <laughs> didn't realize how much language I had to translate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but I think the more you do it, you know, it's it's kind of like riding a bike and you mm-hmm. figure out what you need to change. Like, if I don't understand that word, they mm-hmm. probably won't either. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask, is there anything that you think reporters should keep in mind when they're reporting on an issue like climate change?
2: Hmm. That's a tough question. Um, Again, we sort of discussed this, but I don't want to presume, but I feel like a lot of people, we we see climate change as being um, a big threat and a significant issue. So just, again, tempering that bias and not running away with an idea because it's something that you agree with. Um, Just trying to hear, talk to as many people as you can, on an issue you are reporting on or a story to make sure you're getting the full picture. Um, yeah. Do you think it's
0: worthwhile to, you know, talk to climate change deniers? Mm-hmm. And, like, how would you do that in a in a fair and unbiased way?
2: So, I guess, what is it, false equivalence, sort of? Mm-hmm. So I think there's also a danger in that. Mm-hmm. If, if there's this really great scientist scientific consensus on climate change i think it's more a disservice to present another side with equal weight yes acknowledge that another side exists um but really how much of the reporter any if at all you should de- designate for these deniers i i think it's it's a little dangerous
1: yeah to mm-hmm. be doing
2: I and mean, acknowledge that they exist but um you really you want to vet the sources you're talking to. So if you're writing a story about climate change and the environment, you want to speak to experts, people that are educated on that. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah.
0: yeah, and be like, be honest about the accuracy of mm-hmm. of who you're talking to. You yeah. know, if if, the, if you know a claim's not true, mm-hmm. yep, yeah. great. Yeah, I think there's some great advice for reporters.
2: Yeah,
1: <laughs> and what advice would you give to? you know, people covering, you know, rallies and strikes, Um, uh, peaceful or otherwise? Yes.
2: Um, I know that there are some outlets where they don't even want their reporters walking and then personally, Mm -hmm. I think that happened, especially with the Women's March in D.C. There were, I think, Washington Post, some other big papers where it's like, you know, you shouldn't be taking part in this. So, I mean, just be aware of that. I don't, whether you're freelancing or you're working for an outlet, what their policy is, but, um Even if inside you're really excited, try and maintain that external neutrality. Um, And I personally feel more comfortable being an observer than a participant. Mm -hmm. That also is more just my personality. I'm more quiet and reserved. So um, I just sort of take it in. And as journalists, we should really be observing as much as we can. So that's what I'm doing at these events.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. I wish there are times where I wish, like, press passes were so much more visible. Mm -hmm. I mean, because I see it all the time in – you see it with this is the oddly, this is an example that's like very in the forefront of my mind with war reporters. Like, mm-hmm. you'll see they have these like yeah. big <laughs> banners almost across their backs that say, like, you know, press yeah. or mm-hmm. you know, photographer. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I don't know. Can buns get vests? <laughs> <laughs> Can we invest in some just hardcore press labeled gear?
0: I want bunny t shirts or bunny hand. ears, the headband, yeah. <laughs> bunny ears, and a uh, what's the word? A hamburger T-shirt. Yes, excellent. That's my.
1: That's, that's our my, rebrand.
0: My yeah, exactly. That's that's my unprofessional take on buns. What I'd like us our image to be. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for coming in. Um,
1: I think we think we're winding down. Yeah. Um. So again, Anastasia, thank you so much for, for joining us today. We really appreciated you having on. And um, thank you for all your wonderful advice. I think that that will uh, serve our contributors very well.
2: Well, thanks for having me. <laughs> Absolutely.
1: So that is it for this week's episode of Between the Bylines. Thank you so much for joining us, everyone. And we will see you next week. Uh, for full versions of Anastasia's reporting, uh, visit BUNewservice.com slash podcasts and click on today's episode uh, where you can find links to the full story and the photo galleries we have from the climate strike. Um, and don't forget to join us at our pitch meeting this week, Wednesday at 530 in COM B29. We look forward to seeing you there. We'd like to thank today's contributing writer,
0: Anastasia <laughs> Lennon, as well as our production team. This week's episode of Between
1: the Bylines was produced by Hannah Harn. And be sure to check out our latest episode of Friday Five, where we fill you in on the latest news from Boston and beyond. Visit us at bunewservicecom slash podcasts for more information.